Hi, I'm Tom Luna. I'm a former school board member. I was privileged to serve as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education, Rod Page. I also had the honor of serving for eight years as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. During that time, I also served as president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. One thing I have learned in all these experiences is that educating children is not rocket science, it's more complicated. On my podcast, Swimming Upstream, we will visit with courageous leaders who challenge the prevailing tide and inspire all of us to swim against the current. Let's jump in. Welcome to another episode of Swimming Upstream with Tom Luna. I'm your host, and we're visiting with a, another um, leader in education, state leader in education, Secretary of Education, Amy Gadara from Virginia. And uh, Amy, we're here at Excellence in Ed, and uh, there are education leaders, thousands from across the country that are here. We're going to hear them when they break sessions. It'll get a little noisy in here. But just a real opportunity to kind of rub shoulders and learn from each other. And we're taking an opportunity um, with our podcast, Swimming Upstream, to talk to some of those education leaders that not only now, but for most of their career, have been swimming upstream, kind of pushing against the current, uh, pushing against the status quo. And so we're so pleased to have you here, Amy Gadara, on um, Swimming Upstream. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Thomas. A pleasure and an honor to be here. And it is so great to be back at JebFest. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was just saying to somebody, this is uh, either like a spa day to be here or also like a booster shot that uh, – that I feel like just being in this group where I'm inspired, yeah. um, I'm hopeful, uh, and I'm just I'm, I feel more empowered to go home and do the right thing after being surrounded by all these leaders. So yeah. it's awesome. So. When I was in office, um, same thing. I would leave this uh, event and I would go home energized. Yeah convinced that it can be done and always with a couple ideas and stuff that I hadn't considered and maybe something I had considered, but I couldn't figure out how to get around the right. barriers or roadblocks. Right. And uh, so it's always been a very, very helpful. So this is the 14th year. It's incredible. And I think I've been to almost all but the first one. And yeah. I do not miss this because it's such a great, great, uh, just energizing couple days. So I'm so glad to see you and glad yeah. to be here. Yeah. So you're the Secretary of Education in Virginia and recently appointed by your new governor. Yes. And and uh, so let, let's talk um, real quick about your background that leads you up to this, because our paths have crossed before. What I know about your work, Amy, is, is the work that you've done when it comes to quality data and education. So talk about the importance of that. And then we're going to shift and talk about how that background and that knowledge is shaping some of the decisions and paths that, that you and the governor are pursuing in Virginia? So, you know, my first job when I came back from Japan, I was teaching in Japan, was at the National Governors Association. And it was in those first three and a half years in my career uh, that I knew that I wanted to work in education policy at the state level and that I wanted to work for governors because um, governors can get things done yeah. and change the world. Yeah. Uh, and it took me 35 years, but I am now working <laughs> for an unbelievable governor and we're trying to get things done. Um, and I would argue that all of the things I've done in the 35 years it took me to finally get to my dream job um, have prepared me for this moment. And everything from working uh, at NGA to working with the National Alliance of Business, helping business leaders and really understanding the importance of making sure that our education system and our workforce development systems are geared towards the labor market needs of our incredibly changing economy yeah. really matters. And then, of course, at the Data Quality Campaign, um, where we worked really hard to change the conversation and the culture around 
around information and how do we make sure that data is used as a tool for continuous improvement and to manage for results. And that's what we're doing in Virginia is we're trying to change this culture uh, and to use data as a truth serum to make sure that everybody knows um, that we are not serving all of our children well and at the same time, using it as a way to identify um, how do we see every child, how do we make sure we are reaching every child, and how do we make sure we are providing the services and tools and education to ensure that every child is on, six, on track. And, and how do you do that without data, right? You cannot. And, and some people are very surprised to, to learn that uh, the, the, the using data for improvement to evaluate what's currently being done and find ways to adjust and improve is 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 a rather new approach to education. It's not new to business. It's not, it's, you know, we wouldn't run our families that way, uh, but in education, uh, and you've been a pioneer in that effort to help open up people's eyes to the value of that. It's so true, Tom. When you think about it, there's not a single organization in the world that is getting results without using information as a flashlight and not just as a hammer, right? Yeah, How do yeah, you do that? Yeah. I don't care if it's public, private, nonprofit, you have to use information to identify where you are and then what you're going to change to get results, yeah. to get different results. And in education, we've used data for so long as a tool of compliance right. and not a tool. Or like you said, like a hammer. Hammer. And right. so, um, so there's a lot to do and we have a lot. And that's what we're one of the upstream things we're trying to do in Virginia right now yeah. is have people understand um, because one of the things in Virginia, and this is very much where I feel like I'm swimming upstream is, you know, Governor Youngkin was elected um, and from the campaign trail. And then when we launched day one to restore excellence and high expectations to education of Virginia. Um, and the number one thing I've heard when I go testify in front of the General Assembly or when I'm out talking is that, how dare you? How dare you tell us that we don't have excellence in Virginia and that we're not great? Um, because for so long, Virginia has relied on using averages. And we have a lot of great schools and really um, things that are working. And those averages are skewing so that it looks like everything. Yes. Yeah. But when we have longitudinal data, we can see that we are not providing excellence and uh, and an excellent education and quality education to every one of our families at all. And that's what we do every morning is wake up and say, we're going to make sure we see every child and that we expand opportunities for those children. Um, you know, and data like this. So we, in our state, we've been collecting information on early childhood data and uh, we had never released it to the public. And the data that we finally released this year says 42% of our second graders are not on track to read independently by third grade. Grade. And you know, I wow. people in this conference know that's a death knell. Yeah, right. That's yeah. A, that's condemning a child to a life of diminished opportunity. And we weren't telling people. Yeah. And so that's part of what we're doing is trying to create a culture of transparency and accountability. Yeah, because uh, if you want, if you want parents engaged. They need information also, right? And to know that their child needs the extra help and assistance. You and I both know that if a child isn't reading at grade level by the end of third grade, our chances of being able to turn that around are minimal, right? And and the, the impact that will have on a, a student's pursuit of prosperity or quality of life is going to be huge. Absolutely. And, you know, I used to say this at Data Quality Campaign that, you know, if I took my daughter to the pediatrician and he had a piece of data... Um, 
that he didn't tell me about that was life-changing for her, that would be medical malpractice. And in some ways, that's what we've been doing in education is that we have the data. We know which kids are not going to do well. And that's education malpractice, that we're not providing students themselves. Teachers oftentimes aren't getting that information, but mostly they're not getting that information. And then parents, most importantly, we are not being honest with parents about where their children are. And we, that's another thing in Virginia we're doing is what we are putting parents and students first and making sure that... um, that parents, students, and teachers are working together to support student achievement. And you know, that's one of the things I brought back from my year in Japan of teaching. So they have a beautiful saying in Japan that student success rests on a three-legged stool. And the three legs are the student, the teacher, and the parent. And if one of the legs is wobbly or not solid, the other two must even work harder right. together in partnership to support that end goal of making sure that every child is prepared for life. And that's what we're bringing in Virginia is trying to think about how do we empower those three critical stakeholders with information, um, with an ability to talk to each other and to work productively together. Wonderful. So um, a turning point in the governor's election, Governor Youngkin's election, at least the point where most of America started paying attention really was um, a comment made during the election about the importance of parents. It really energized people in Virginia and caught the attention of the country. And, uh, and really the governor rode that wave into, uh, in, into uh, election. So talk to us about some of the things that the governor and you are focusing on to, to um, once recognizing that that's so important for parents and how they responded in the election to actually delivering and empowering parents. Right. So, so- several ways. So one, you know, parents matter. And that is what we say every single day is that parents matter. And for too long, and in the last several years, we have pushed parents out of our schools, we've pushed them out of decision, we haven't been providing them the information they need. And so we've done some really, um, I think, revolutionary things that shouldn't be revolutionary. Right? Yeah. When I grew yeah. up in school, my parents were in my school all the time. Yeah. My teachers came over for coffee after school with my mom, she was the PTA president, like there was just a community partnership. And we had retired senior citizens in our class classrooms, doing tutoring with us, right? We had the community and the school and the school and the community. And so we're trying to also revive that in Virginia, but there's some really basic things we did. One, you know, uh, back in January, February, we said parents matter in our constitution. We have a law that says parents are the primary decision maker and will be involved in making decisions. So we said that parents could opt out of wearing masks. So we just reinstituted and reinforced that parents will make decisions about children. And we reinforced that with decisions about sexually explicit materials and that parents have a right to knowing if their child's going to be exposed to something that they're not comfortable with. Likewise, we just issued our model policy that's still in draft format around transgender uh, model policy. And the message there is that parents must be involved in making decisions about their child, um, making one of the biggest decisions in their lives. And so reaffirming. So on those pieces, we've just continued to reaffirm the critical role that parents matter and they must be part of their child's life and decisions. And we're also focusing on the fact that parents haven't had access to the information that they deserve about how their children their children are doing in school. So one of the things I'm really excited about is that we've launched an effort called Bridging the Gap. And one of the things we're trying to do is to ensure that parents, students, and teachers annually receive a snapshot of where their child is. So it takes all the tests and information that's been gathered on a child and presents it into a single, easy-to-use um, picture. At a, at a moment of time, is you know where is Amy? How is Amy doing? Yeah. And it's being provided at the same time the student, teacher, and parent so we can have a common picture and then have a conversation in our teacher-student-parent conference. And then we're 
developing as part of that a personalized learning plan so that if a child isn't where he or she needs to be, so what are we going to do to make up for the two years of learning loss that our kids in Richmond have experienced? So that there's not the sense of hopelessness, but saying, here's the data, let's get a sense of where this child is, and then what are we going to do? And the parents are part of that plan. Yes. No surprises. Nobody says, I didn't know about this, that my child wasn't on track. And so it's about building this partnership and building it using quality, actionable information, and then personalized, evidence-based lesson plans to go forward so that everyone's working towards the same goal. So that's really what we're trying. So we've uh, we've put together an office of parent engagement and empowerment that's talking about how do we do more training for our teachers so they know how to work with parents, how to communicate with them, and how to use data in a way that's a tool for improvement and partnership. Wonderful. So let's uh, let, let's talk also a bit about as you're engaging in this important work, uh, the other challenges that not only Virginia but the whole country is facing. Um, teacher shortage is a huge issue. We we've seen this coming for ten years, right? The data <laughs> has told us for ten years just because of the aging population that we were going to have a teacher shortage issue, and we needed to come up with strategies to deal with that. The pandemic definitely amplified that and kind of expanded it. Um, and and then also recently the NAEP scores, right, have demonstrated that this abrupt disruption in education has had uh, a, a huge impact on the gains that we've made over the past 30 years. Now, I think there can be an argument to be made that is that all we really gained in 30 years, right? But that's another conversation. So going forward, when you uh, w- with all these bold efforts to improve education, talk to us about the other uh, dealing with those other challenges, teacher shortage and accelerated learning at the same time. So let me start with the NAEP pieces. I mean, NAEP was devastating, and it's truth serum, right? The nation's report card matters so much because it provides uh, a, a national view of how states are doing. And in Virginia... Uh, it is, uh, it's heart-wrenching about what those scores tell us. We knew, we were looking at all of our data, but what NAEP reinforced for us is that our declines are faster than any others in the nation. So our fourth graders in math and reading had the largest declines across the nation, and our learning loss was three times bigger than the national average. Wow. It was already bad. It was horrific. And I would also want to say for your listeners, this didn't just start with the pandemic. This is a trend that started in 2017 when Virginia policymakers lowered expectations lowered cut stores, and basically set expectations for our children and for our adults at a lower level. And guess what? The system was designed and it got the results it was designed for. And so what we're focused on laser-like right now is how do we reset our expectations to be the highest in the nation? How do we go? And you look at the scores, Virginia's proficiency cut scores as benchmarked against SNAPE is the lowest. So we are committed to raising our expectations so that we know that we're preparing our kids for life. Uh, we're going to change. We're going to be the most transparent and accountable system in this country. And we're also going to focus on what we know what works. So that means using data in a different way, as we were just talking about. But it's also about making sure that we are attracting, growing, and retaining the greatest teachers. Because as you know, having access to a quality teacher next to a parent's involvement in education is the most important indicator. Yeah, Robert Marzano, right? I'm a big fan of his work. And it is his research has shown over and over that once a child enters the school, the most important factor is the quality of the teacher. And so part of this is about, you know, I'm a conservative. How do you build marketplaces? And, you know, information and dollars and good opportunities are the three things that you need to have a market work. And so part of this is that we're going to start in Virginia making sure that we're paying teachers more who are serving um, the students who need it the most in communities and making sure that students, that teachers who are also going to work in the hardest to uh, to 
to staff subjects and also putting more dollars in to pay for results. And so we're going to move towards a pay for performance and to say, we need to recognize and reward quality and quality is defined yeah. by making an impact on student achievement. Yeah. And we're, that's going to take a couple of years to get because our data system needs to be um, tweaked a little bit. So things that happened 15 years ago have not been happening. And so we're building a data system to be able to allow us to do that. But we have got to support our teachers. Um, and the shortage um, is a is a crisis, right? How do we do more to make sure? So, you know, we just put an additional $10 million in on teacher recruitment and retention, but that's on top of a $70 million we just did around our Virginia Literacy Act. And a huge part of that is about changing what happens in schools of education, about how we prepare our teachers, pre-service coaches around literacy. And we're going to be doing the same thing around math because as Nate just showed us, we have horrific, you know, it, it's learning loss everywhere and we just need to focus. What about alternate paths to certification so we're open to everything and you know national board professional teaching standards we are open to anything that ensures that we will get a quality teacher in every classroom in virginia has to be what we focus i've on. always i've always struggled with the i'm a huge supporter of alternate paths to teacher certification um i've always wished we didn't use the word alternate because that alternate is usually what you you settle for when you can't have what you really want. There should just be multiple pathways to this career, right? Isn't that the story of education in America, though, right? Is that we do one size fits all for yeah. everything. Yeah. And we're Americans. We don't do one yeah. size fits all for anything except in education. So why do we have one way to go through high school, one way to get a teacher? Listen, so this is a moment to blow things up and focus yeah. on how do we get results. Yeah. And we can't wait. And there's an urgency. And that's what Nate provides for us is an urgency. So we should be trying everything. That's right. And focus on evidence. That's right. And then putting our dollars, which in Virginia, we have $2 billion sitting on the table in our school wow. lessons right now. Wow. How do we use that to focus on what we know works and try everything, including investing in teachers in different ways of getting them in the classroom? Yeah. And, you know, when you consider um, uh, alternate paths into the teaching profession, all you're really doing at the state level by removing those barriers is uh, you're not lowering the bar, right? You're just removing the barriers without lowering the bar. And you're really just in, yeah, increasing the applicant pool. The district and schools still decide if they want to hire and who they want to hire, right? right? And let's use data to hold them yeah. accountable, right? Yeah. This whole idea of using data to make sure, which has also been the third rail of education, is that we can actually use value add in terms of, as any yeah. kind of measure of success, which is crazy. Yeah. You know that it yeah. matters. So. so a year from now, what uh, you know? Two things. A year from now, what what, what does this conversation between you you and I? What are we talking about in Virginia? And then also, if I'm uh, listening to this podcast and I'm intrigued and excited about some of the things I'm learning in uh, Virginia, but I recognize that in my state, there's just pushback and obstacles. Talk about what advice you would give to other state leaders that are facing some of the same uh, challenges, but also the same resistance to solving those uh, challenges. So to that last question, I'll say, uh, quote my favorite Ed Edward Deming's quote, which is, you and God we trust, all others bring data. Um, and I Perfect. think that having the data in your back pocket says this is not a political statement. This is not a, a, you know, one person's opinion. When you have the data to back up where you are and then what you want to do, it changes conversations. And this is really about change management of how do we create urgency and a desire to change. And you've got to start by building an awareness for a need to change. And when you can provide data like we now have in Virginia and so many states have that show that we are not serving all kids, it changes the conversation and makes it really real. And so that's my case. This is again going back to using information as a flashlight to really 
build awareness about we are in crisis. We are on the cusp of almost losing a generation of children if we do not act differently. And to your first question, I hope when we're back here in a year, um, I hope that we are instituting a new accreditation and accountability system. I'm hoping that I can come here and tell you proudly that in Virginia, we're holding our children to the highest expectations in the country and that they're prepared for life. I'm hoping at this point that every parent, every student, and every teacher in the Commonwealth of Virginia has had access to a clear picture of where their child is and has an understanding of how they can work in partnership with their with teachers and parents to get to where they need to go. Um, we cannot do this without working with parents and with teachers and supporting both of them and with students. And I also hope we're further along with having multiple pathways to success for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we're launching is our lab schools, which is another way of saying one size fits all is not working how we're delivering education. So I'm hoping we have at least five lab schools launched by next year too. So right. I look forward to coming back and talking about all those things. And then Secretary Gadara, one more thing, a little bit different, but before we go, I've been asking all of our guests, share with us one thing about the Commonwealth of Virginia that is unique or interesting that most people don't know. So not only do we have a four-year term limit, which means every single minute counts, and we're working on young consent. So your governor only serves one, one term. term, all I right? The only, I think we're the only state I that think so. that, and it uh, means that we don't waste a single second. Um, but we are also, I believe, the only state that refers to our governor as His Excellency. Oh, His Excellency. So, yes. So, What does Mrs. Youngkin think of that? <laughs> I think his children laugh a whole lot. Yeah. I think Mrs. Youngkin uh, also ribs him a lot of it. So well, that's a fascinating point that I was not aware of uh, the uh, how you refer to your governor. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Perfect. And Amy Gadara, Secretary of Education for the Commonwealth of Virginia, and uh, so excited that you took time at this conference to share uh, some of your thoughts with us and also to really share your thoughts with people that'll listen to this podcast, learn so much and be inspired by the great work that you're doing in Virginia. So uh, share that with your, your governor and with your state superintendent and the, and the other folks that are there doing, doing the hard work, but the necessary work and swimming against the stream. Thank you. So thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. And folks, uh, we've had the opportunity to have uh, Secretary of Education Amy Gadara here on uh, Swimming Upstream. And uh, we look forward to future episodes where you'll hear from other state leaders uh, and education leaders talking about their efforts to uh, swim upstream and to swim against the current. Thanks. Thank you for listening. And remember, our children may only be 22% of our population but they represent 100% of our future. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Swimming Upstream is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of our shows, visit our website, stratagosgroup.com.